It's time for the Juice Box Junkies, an independent Houston Astros podcast. All Astros, all the time. Astros news, analysis, and opinions right here on the Juice Box Junkies. Marty Coleman here, Juice Box Junkies, Episode 2. With me today is Brian Dunleavy, Matt Conkle, two of my cohorts here. Hey, we're 100% on this Juice Box Junkies, the three of us. Some of the other guys are in and out. That's the way it's going to be, and that's the way it's going to go. we got a deep roster today. Brian, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good, you know, as good as I can be, you know. I'm sporting my uh, J.J. Watt jersey, and just for all the haters. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got my Skeeters, uh, old-timey Skeeters, or retro Skeeters, I guess they are now, or defunct Skeeters, actually. Um, <laughs> the, now the Space Cowboys, which we were talking about before I hit record. So, also with us today, Matt Conkle. Matt, how's it going? It's going real good, man. I'm just trying to stay warm. Uh, storming coming through the entire country, it looks like. But I'm going to stay warm with my hometown Utah Jazz hoodie. There you go. There you go. We are, we're all representing today, right? Uh, I think the storm is hitting, as we were talking about before we started re- hit record, that uh, my kid's out of school for the next two days. So there's there's no telling what, um, you know, what will happen on my uh, calls tomorrow. Uh, we use Teams. So my team's calls could be interesting. Well, everybody's actually could be interesting uh, tomorrow, everybody that I work with, because they're in the, pretty much in the same boat. All right, t- Today, fellas, we're going to start off with a lockout update. Now, we talked about the lockout last week, and I think we're going to end up talking about it every week until it gets resolved in some form or fashion, if they at least continue to have discussions. And as I understand it, they did have uh, an hour and a half discussion yesterday. They focused on service time manipulation and the pre-arbitration bonus pool. There was some progress, but nothing substantial, nothing that's gotten us any closer to uh, resolution of this is- of these issues or any of the other huge issues that that faces Major League Baseball uh, in 2022. From what I'm reading, and this is what I'm reading, you guys may have read something else. This means it's now February 2nd. This means that uh, spring training will not start on time. And if these issues aren't resolved by February 7th, which is next Monday, that spring training games will be delayed now no skin off the players back they don't get paid for spring training games but starts to impact the owners and one of the questions the big questions i have with my son all the time he's 15 is um you know when will they start why did they wait 36 days did you get the first proposal when is it when are they going to get moving my take is when the owners start losing money there'll be more of an incentive to move forward and Hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Brian, what's your take on these latest developments in the uh, lockout? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, the people will have to start losing money on, on especially the ownership side before they even start to budge, you know, a little bit. Uh, and it, even in the latest talks, you know, that 90 minute discussion that they had, um, and I'm, you know, reading stuff from the athletic on that, Evan Drellich is, uh, 
you know, tweets and stuff saying it was pretty heated during that discussion. But then the MLB Players Association moved a little bit on the bonus pool, but you know, from 105 to 100 million. Last I remember, the owners were at 10 million. So it, it's it's worlds apart still. Um, and until the the owners really have a serious kind of uh, agreement or discussion or or any kind of movement, it's not looking good. And and um, from what I understand, in all aspects, it's it's they're worlds away from from being anywhere close to where they need to be. So. You know, from that, um, and I think the other part, too, I think you're going to get a little um, p- potentially political pressure put on them, too, that might help it move a little bit because, you know, you're taking away the spring training aspect. That's a huge uh, economic boost uh, to the state of Florida and Arizona. Uh, those states, you know, I'm sure will have a little bit of uh, a say in it, too, or the, the shops that opened up around those um, areas there to you know, support the teams and, and have a lot of fan-based things going on that aren't able to provide as much, you know, this time of year. Um, I, I, I actually laughed. I got an advertisement, you know, um, from the uh, the park at the Palm Beaches saying, you know, how about spring training season tickets? You know, look at look into that. And I was just like, <laughs> who's going to waste their money on that right now? You know, who, who even thinks that's going to be a possibility? So, you know, I, I don't. I can't imagine if there's a spring training at all. Um, I can't imagine it'll be very long, you know, just with how far apart they are right now and, and how we're already eating, eating into the season, uh, the practice time and everything. So, you know, good luck, everybody in Florida and Arizona and those areas. Uh, I wouldn't count out maybe hire some college, you know, college teams to come play on, you know, on your stadiums and, and enjoy some time there. I don't know. There's, there's not much you can do. Yeah, who's going to make the commitment to uh, spring training uh, tickets when there may be none or who knows when it may be, as we talked about, could be in uh, May for all we know if they decide to have spring training in May. All right, Matt Kunkel, you're up. Your take on the latest on the lockout. I mean, it just seems like all quiet on the Western front and the chasm between what players want and the owners want just and it seems like there's some momentum, but we got a long way. And, you know, you got to think about uh, who's incentivized to get things done right now. Uh, right now, like the players don't, I mean, they like spring training, but they don't get paid to play in spring training. So they're not incentivized to get, to get uh, things done. The owners are a little bit. So there's some hope that maybe it can loosen up and uh, maybe we can at least get some of the spring training. But I, I have my doubts. I think it's, I, like I said on a previous show, um, I just I think Memorial Day is the target for opening day. So I mean, you know, you do the math there with uh, you know what the spring training will end up looking like. It'll just be more truncated, and it's going to start later. And you know, those poor people out in Arizona and, and Florida, I feel bad for you. You guys should just you know go to a beach or go hiking or enjoy the nice weather. Um, I, I don't I don't know if you're going to see any baseball in March. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Florida. You know, obviously there's some there's some teams in Arizona, but we were in Florida last uh, end of July and August, and my son and I actually went. We were in Orlando, and we actually drove to Tampa for a game in that park that nobody likes. We thought it was fine, and it was it was really weird because we've heard so much negativity about that park. Um, you know, even the team doesn't want to be there. They want to play half their games in Canada. 
Um, but we we enjoyed it. It was, I guess, because it was unique. We don't have to go there every day. I, I mean, and I, there were some quirks to it, yeah, sure. And it had some minor league aspects to it. But um, it, we heard a lot about the traffic in and out of out of there. But uh, it was we were out in five minutes. Of course, we left in the seventh inning. But that's another story for another day. Okay, we want to talk some actual baseball now, or at least some actual baseball players. So. Uh, last week we talked about Forrest Whitley and the minor leagues, and we're going to get to a minor leaguer in a second or in a few minutes. But first up, we want to talk about uh, Trevor Story and the uh, the odds of Astros getting him to replace Carlos Correa, and should they get him to replace Carlos Correa? So I did, you know, my usual five minutes of research here, and what I found out is there's huge differences in his home and road splits, which you would think is natural because of um, batting in Coors Field. But I'm talking 90 points difference between at home and on the road, a couple of hundred points in slugging, you know, and the same kind of numbers in OPS. I would be concerned that he's not a 290 hitter um, outside of Coors Field. He's more like a 240 or 250 hitter. Um, those are my main concerns. And the other thing I noticed was 103 OPS plus last year. So you look at his home runs and RBIs and think great, but we know OPS plus is park adjusted. He's average. I mean, we got average right now in the Ledmus Diaz. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that Trevor story is, is the answer, but I'll let you guys battle it out. Matt, I believe you're going to go first on this one. Yeah, I don't know what's all the, the negative talk about Trevor's story. I think he's a fantastic option to uh, to what uh, we can get out in the market. You know, Carlos Correa, I, Carlos Correa is the better player, but Carlos Correa wants 10 years and he wants a bigger contract, and I just don't think that fits uh, the Astros' current timeline. I think Trevor's story fits perfectly. Um, you know, he's, he's not the defensive player Carlos Correa is, but he's not far off. He's one of the better ones in the league. Um he gives you plus power on your OPS. Obviously, we've already mentioned the, the favorability with cores, but you know the other splits that you got to look at with Trevor Story is he hits 310 against lefties, and he hits 260 against righties. But 310 against lefties kind of nice when you got uh, when you got Jordan Alvarez and, and Kyle Tucker. If you want to do righty lefty combinations with your lineup, I think he's great. Um, and you know I, he's had a few injuries. Uh, the last couple of years, I've slowed him down, but like, let's let, let's take a step back. Where, where was he playing? He's playing with the Rockies. The Rockies are terrible, and I, I know that uh, you know baseball players can accumulate your own stats. It's it's like a, it's a team sport, an individual, but like it it affects you. I I think you're less locked in when you're down seven nothing against the Dodgers than when you're uh, up at the plate with two on and two out and in a pivotal game, which he would be for the Houston Astros. I think. Um, for what he's asking for for years and what I think the market's um, demanding with him, I think he'd be a good fit. And to be honest, the other thing is if we don't sign him, um, I think he's a prime candidate to go sign with the Seattle Mariners. And the Mariners have already shown that they've closed the gap on the Astros in the last year and they're on, they're on the way up. And we'll see uh, we'll see how Jared Kelnick does this next year. He had a tough year, but, you know, he's supposed to be the future and they got a great roster. They just need a bat. And if they sign Trevor Story, uh, 
I think they'll be. I think the AL uh, the AL West will get real real tight real quick. So anyway, I, I just I think Trevor's story is um, undervalued at the moment, and um, his defense, his his availability, uh, more than Aladdin Diaz. I love Aladdin Diaz, but I mean he spent so much time in Corpus Christi. I feel like he owns property <laughs> down there. Um, and yeah, I think he's a prime candidate for a good bounce back with, with some decent power. And you know, he's a, he's a righty with power, proper boxes, man. I think it fits. All right. So uh, your take is like college football, where you sign everybody so they won't go somewhere else, right? You sign Trevor oh, Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You sign everybody you can. And the other thing on Elevmus, you made a you made a great point. Elevmus Diaz uh, is a really good defensive third baseman. He's not a really good shortstop he's below average at shortstop he's really good at uh, third base defensively and he's average on the offensive end too so um next up brian your take on Trevor's story which way are you going on this story (laughs) i I think there's a there's a really easy and clear story and you know uh trevor please prove me wrong you know but um there's a reason he hasn't been signed and that's because nobody wants a, a Rocky that doesn't play well away from home. And, and that's the bottom line. I mean, there's nothing else redeeming qualities about him. Um, he's not the best defensive shortstop, you know, in the game. He's not the best offensive shortstop in the game. What is he? He's a great Colorado Rocky. That's what he is. And, and that's why nobody signed him so far. So I say, you know, my hot take is no thanks. I really don't want him. I would much rather see a rookie come up and start and get experience, and especially ones that have potential in our system that we might be talking about here in a little bit. Um, I'd rather I'd rather see that. You don't have to pay for that. That's that's a, a much cheaper expense. And I'd say the same gamble. If you look at their their uh, stats and everything comparatively, um, just really quick. Like Marty went over you know a whole bunch of things. I know you you talked about the his splits, but it's really striking to go from, you know, 47 RBIs at home to 28 away, uh, losing 100, almost 100 uh, you know, percentage points for batting average. I mean, that's a huge difference. Up in strikeouts, more strikeouts. And the reason is, you know, with all those stats and slugging is the same, is because the ball carries a little bit more. What might be a routine line drive or fly ball in Houston will be, uh, you know, off the wall in, in Colorado. So, <clears throat> When you're going from uh, almost zero elevation, uh, you know, from a mile high, it's, it's going to have a huge impact on his game. And I don't think he's really, really worth it. I mean, across the board, stats-wise, he is down. The only thing, um, it seems to me, he's he had a couple more home runs away. So it seems like he's just hitting for the home run average, you know, it is what it is. And the other last comparison I'll give is is fielding percentage. Um, just comparing, and obviously we know Carlos Correa is is the best of the best. But Correa's fielding percentage, I'll just go back in you know the past three years: ninety eight point one, ninety nine five, ninety nine three. Those are his fielding percentages for the past three seasons. Trevor Story: ninety seven five, ninety six one, ninety eight seven. So you're you're losing a whole lot if you're going to bring in somebody who also doesn't provide the same pop in the in the lineup. And, you know, I just really don't think it's, it's worth the price tag. Uh, if, if you can get them for cheap, sure, why not? But 
you're not going to get them from cheap because there's so many people you know vying for quality shortstops um, that aren't a question mark like a rookie would be. So I'd say let somebody else have them, and they can, you know, somebody like the Yankees can sink all their money into them and waste their their cap space and. <laughs> and then be, you know, garbage for the next uh, decade again, like they have done time and time again. So here we are. We're starting to hit a theme in this podcast, and that theme is we don't want to pay Correa, <laughs> which Christian was Christian's take last week. Now we don't want to pay Trevor Story. Uh, Matt Matt wants to pay Trevor Story, but two out of three of us, Matt, I'm sorry you got voted off the island. Uh, Matt, uh, we don't want to pay Trevor Story. So I'm starting to get a theme here, and that leads right into their next topic, which is going to be our minor leaguer segment of the week, which falls right into this uh, discussion of whether or not to pay Trevor Story. This week's minor leaguer is Jeremy Pena. Every and I, you know, jokingly said we should have had him last week instead of Forrest Whitley because this is the guy everybody assumes is going to be the shortstop for Houston Astros this year, whether that's in combination with the Lebanese Diaz or somebody else. His ETA is 2022, assuming they can get the collective bargaining agreement worked out. Uh, I told you guys before we hit record, I was fascinated by the wild differences in opinions on Pena. Baseball America has him at number 72. Baseball Prospectus has him at number 16. And Keith Law has him at 101, saying that he was the first guy out of his top 100. And the reasoning for that was that um, he sees Pena's upside as somewhat limited. Uh, guess he does not believe he's the next Carlos Correa, for example. A good, he had him down as a good player, um, but not you know on that next level where he got into the top 100 on his list. A couple of stats here: uh, Pena was 287 with 10 home runs at 122 in 122 at bats in Triple A uh, last season, but there was. 35 strikeouts and three errors and 100, 100 chances. Um, in the Dominican Winter League, he batted 291 with two home runs and 117 at-bats and, again, 32 strikeouts. He's going to be a rookie. Strikeouts are going to be a problem. We know that, right? We know that, um, especially with, with the younger players. Uh, so what about a combination of – well, Well, let's talk about Jeremy Pena first, Brian, and then we'll talk about – how we solve the shortstop position without uh, resorting to Trevor Story. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, the sad part is, uh, you know, talking about all these things, and, and I like Jeremy Pena a lot, but talking about all this stuff that we've mentioned and just gives more credence in, in case for re-signing Carlos Correa. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. That. It, we look at all the things that we will have to go through with the question marks with Trevor Story. You look at Jeremy Pena is going to be a rookie. He's going to be, he's going to be, you know, a work in progress. He's not going to be a middle of the lineup guy. Where that's what we're losing in Carlos Correa. So, um, so I like Pena. I think uh, you know Marty, you're spot on saying that you know it's going to be rough as rough going as a rookie. I mean, I remember um, myself looking back and and hey, you know, I was. I was proven wrong, but Kyle Tucker, you know, he did not start off like looking like he did this past season. And I was like, who is this guy? I looked at, you know, from, from a, from a coach's standpoint, I'm looking at him like, man, that he has one of the longest swings there is. I don't know if he's going to be able to even catch up to 97, 98. And, you know, he, he proved us all wrong at this, this past season and, and was lights out and, and, 
um, you know, dynamite for, for the Astros when they needed it. Um, and I think Jeremy Pena could have the same thing. He could be, he could be rough. I don't think he's has the ceiling that, that, uh, Correa has, um, you know, Marty, you mentioned his stats, you know, from, from his prior reports and scouting, uh, history, um, what was, what was shared at least was he's more, a defensive gem than a, than a hitting gem, but he is kind of flip-flopped while he's been in the minors that he's been more offensive and and not a perfect defender in the minor leagues as as was previously um you know examined so that's still a big question mark there um you know i do like his potential um but i don't think he's going to be in the next two or three seasons i don't think he's going to be anywhere close to the, the five hole or six hole in the astros lineup i think you know at, at best he's seven right um uh, most likely eight or nine uh, looking at things depending on how they want to do it if they want to do the turnaround uh, lineup if Dusty's into that where you have the speed at the bottom in case uh, you know we don't clog up the bases with the slow catcher um, but uh, all, that's all philosophy right but um, in the end you know I think you know Jeremy Pena has has a lot of great potential what I would most likely you know prefer and in, 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 in the interim is is obviously signing Correa and and then bringing Pena up and maybe to afford Correa, I'd say trade or cut Diaz and, and get him out of there so we have a little more space. But, you know, I'm not click. I have no idea what he's thinking. But um, the real question that he, he has to answer and, and ownership and everybody along the way is, do we want to win now? Do we have the team to win now? Or do we want to win a couple years from now? And in my view, we have the team for now. We don't have the team for later. You know, we're, we're just getting older with our players. So we need somebody that can step in and, and provide some some pop and some production in the lineup. And and I don't know if Jeremy Pena fits that that part right now. I think he's a great fill-in utility guy. A couple of things there. You said uh, you are not alone on the Kyle Tucker Island. My son reminds me every time he hits one out of the park that I wanted to get rid of him after his uh, 169 debut or whatever it was. And uh, on Jeremy Pena, I I don't recall off the top of my head the uh, estimates or the projections for his rookie year, but it was like 10 or 11 home runs and, you know, 38 RBIs or something real pedestrian. They see him as a part-time player. So, um, uh I'm not expecting anything great, but I think people are going to be shocked uh, when you go from Correa to Pena. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to be excited about a rookie and a new face and somebody who's going to be potentially with the team for years and years. But when you see the difference, even if he's good, I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but look at Tucker's rookie season. You know, uh, Tucker struggled even some in his second season before finally getting, getting to it. So, Growing pains, as they like to say, growing pains, right? All right, Matt Kunkel, your take on Jeremy Pena. Well, I'll talk about Jeremy Pena, but I just want to say that I have always had faith in Kyle Tucker. I went and tried <laughs> his, his, uh, his minor league games. I, I loved him. I, I saw him and Jordan Alvarez out in Las Vegas, and I was like, man, the Astros are loaded. And I am still a big truther on Taylor Jones. I think he's, he's going to pop. Um, anyway, but, but back to Jerry Pena, I, I, you know, look, I really like him. He's, uh, uh, he's a great athlete. He certainly works out a lot. I see a lot of posts about how big his, his arms are. So, I mean, 
good for him. I, I, I like that he works out a lot. But he, he seems to be someone that has plus size defensive abilities, and uh, he's been getting better with his bats. Um, you know, he, he projects to be an everyday player. And, you know, unfortunately, he's just not going to be that right away. He's going to need at bats. He's going to need like 200, 400 at bats to really get a feel for how the game is. I, I remember we're talking about Kyle Tucker's struggles. I mean, do we remember Alex Bregman's struggles when he got called up? I think he. Good point. Didn't he start he's like one for, for 40? Or, you know. won. I think he's one for 40, something like that, yeah. I remember that. I was like, who, who is this guy? He's the second. He's, he's the number two pick. He can't even get a hit. Now, and things went well. He just needed time. Um, but then that brings it to the, the other point that Brian brought up. It's like, it's where are we in, where is this team right now in uh, trying to get a championship? The, we're trying to extend the window and bringing in someone that's going to have to be in the back of the lineup and he's going to have to take his licks probably doesn't fit the model right now. This is why I'm leaning towards you know, maybe getting a short-term deal done with, with uh, Trevor Story. He's kind of in the same age with uh, um, Altuve and, and, and Bregman and some of the older guys. And then I, I think Pena would be a great person to bring up and uh, not get every day, every day at bats, but work his way into the lineup. And then we have that new, new age of uh, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, Jeremy Pena. Um, I, I just think that would be the most seamless. If, 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 if the after the series about winning a title, I, that's why I lean towards uh, getting story over Pena, but no, I, I nothing but excitement every time I see his highlights um, and uh, read about what he can be and, and if he can just uh, you know not have as many K's in the minor leagues and when he gets an opportunity to play in, in the majors, let's, let's hope he pops because the Astros have shown that they can develop. I mean, where do no one knows where Framber Valdez came from. I, I still don't know where he came from, but he's great. I, <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, I have full faith in the Astros development program, and let's just see what, what they do with Pena. You know, you had a you, you made an excellent excellent point um, about being on the team and not being a full time player, and I think that benefited. We've got a recent example in Chaz McCormick, right? Um, he ended up with 320 at bats, and he had 10 home runs for the All Star break. Kind of took a the power took a nosedive after the All Star break, but he hit 257 with 14 home runs and you know 50 RBIs as a rookie, playing part time. Um, and I think it benefited him being at the major league level, um, but not having that full responsibility. I always tell the joke that's the day my son and I went to Corpus. We didn't even notice Chaz there. Right. We went to see Seth Beer. We're Clemson guys, or I am. And so we went to see Seth Beer uh, and we didn't even notice Chaz. And here's Chaz in the major leagues, you know, crushing it uh, as a part time player. And he and he fell off a little bit, as I said, in the power in the second half. But there's some value to being on that major league team and learning without all the pressure of being an everyday player, much less an everyday shortstop for a contending uh, for a contending team, which, you know, is a heck of a lot of pressure um, for a young guy. Okay, and, and that kind of leads us into our next topic here, guys. We we want to talk about James Click's philosophy, and it's, I think Brian led into it. It was perfect, talking about, you know, what is it? What are we doing this year? Are we trying to win the championship? Are we rebuilding? Are we somewhere in between? And... Um, I've had this conversation about the San Antonio Spurs with my son too, because they're trying to win games and they're no good. 
and he's frustrated because they won't rebuild. It seems uh, the Astros are obviously much, much closer to winning. But is Cliff's philosophy going to be develop these players and get rid of them before they get the big contracts, um, a la the Tampa Bay Rays, where he came from, or is it going to be uh, – so is it going to be Tampa Bay – I was going to say West, but um, yeah, Tampa Bay kind of Westish, Westish, Texas style. Or is there going to be, you know, go after the big free agents like they did when in 2017 with Furlander and Grinky? So, um, Brian, I'll let you go first on this. What do you see as James Clicks? Maybe this year, yes, because we're interested in this year, obviously, but also long term, Clicks philosophy with the Astros develop and let them go. Sign him long term, free agents. What are we going to see from James Click long term? Do you think? Well, so far, I'm not. I'm not a biggest uh, big fan of, of Click, and 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 the reason is what you had mentioned before. The stark difference between him and Jeff Luno is um, development. You know, get your farm system really strong, and and then when they're ready, bring them up and get them going, and have the have the best farm system, but also have you know keep your quality players uh, under contract and. And, you know, I know they all do it and they all and they all, you know, swing for the fences around trade deadline time. But when you um, sell the farm, literally uh, at the at the trade deadline and, and, and your return is you, you don't keep any of the guys that you trade for. You know, like you, you have a you know, contracts that expire. You don't you know offer out some uh, some more details, some more, uh, you know, extensions for the guys that perform well, particularly mid playoffs. I mean, I, I would sign at least two of those relievers mid playoffs and say, Hey, you're doing a knockout job. You did, you did a great job, you know, so far in the, in the regular season for the month or so that we had you. And in the playoffs, you're, you're standing out. So how about this three-year deal? What do you think? And, and, you know, at least get something out of that trade. But when you, when you lose some quality players in the farm system for a guy for, you know, two, three months, you know, what, that and that doesn't speak, you know, much confidence to me. That sounds more like a, a Yankees uh, philosophy, where it's sign sign them, you know, when they're good, and hopefully they stay that way, and you don't really have the farm to trade for them anymore. Uh, versus, you know, more developmental staff. And 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 I'll bring up this other hot take too. And this maybe maybe the only possible good out of the lockout. If we're locked out till June or July, here's here's the take. And 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 I could be wrong, but Correa signs a one-year deal with the Astros for a lot of money for a half of a season so that he can prove it again to get the big contract in the offseason next year. Um, could be. That could be the thing. You know, if, if we have a we have a half season, we have a 50-game or 75-game season, Correa could easily say, hey, well, fine, I'll return to the Astros for one year for, you know, 35 mil and, and, then, and then get my long-term when we have – you know, we have all this monkey business going on. All right. Now that is a take. I don't think I've ever heard before. Has that ever happened? That's, I mean, well, we haven't had a lockout in 152 years. So um, I guess that uh, stranger things have happened. Won't I'll never say never uh, unless it's Matt Kunkel's idea. Then I'd probably say never, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll never say never, but what an interesting, what an interesting hot take. Okay, Matt, your turn to talk about James Click and your belief in this year. Is he playing for a championship? Is he rebuilding? Are we somewhere in between that nebulous place in the middle of all that? It 
kind of that's what it kind of feels like to me. But your turn to to speak to James Click. Yeah, I, I really like your analogy with the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, I I think what the Astros are in is they're in this phase of trying to extend this championship window because I mean we've seen um, you know baseball the best teams rise to the top, but whoever wins the World Series, it's it's kind of who's hot and who's got you know the the best batter, the best pitcher in the moment. So you just got to get yourself in that position, and I think. What the Astros are trying to do is that they're trying to extend this window of having opportunities to, you know, re- really win the World Series. And, um, you know, if you take a step back and look at at uh, Click's background, I mean, he's analytically driven. He used to do a lot of articles for Baseball Perspectives in, in, in the early 2000s. He, he went to Yale. He's all about numbers and defensive efficiency metrics and emphasis on OPS per contract value and all these really nerdy things because he because he studies baseball and i i think his time in, with the rays is interesting because i they they have for the longest time been seen as uh you know the front runners with uh making analytically uh driven decisions but then you know tampa is also trying to you know put pennies together they, they can't get people to go to the baseball game and it's different when you come to the astros when you have that analytic that that analytically driven mentality, but then you have an owner that seems uh, to be willing to pay more than the owners for the the Rays are. And um, I, I I've been a I've been a for the most part been a fan of Click. You know he's done a good job. He resigned Brantley. He uh, brought in Verlander and McCullers. Uh, the Ryan Stanek signing might have been one of the best signings in baseball last year. Um, I mean, I know we lost, we traded for Yimmy and uh, Kendall Gregman. We lost him, but then we got this guy still in the pond. Who, if anyone's listening, there's a guy on Twitter that went after me because I was supporting Phil Maton, and then he was like the best pitcher in, in all the playoffs this year. I'm still waiting for that apology from that one person. Um, so I think that was a great that was a great uh, signing. And you know, like you know, having the idea of bring up Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers. I didn't even know who Jake Myers is until couple months ago and you know i think the biggest knock he's had is you know the the jake odorizzi signing which didn't look very good this year but let's see what he does this next year i i think in general click's philosophy with this team has been to um find a way to extend the championship window because i mean you don't always have a guy like altuve guriel bregman uh correa uh springer i know he's not there anymore but you don't usually get this collection of talent together um, on the team, and uh, I, you know, I, I think he's doing a lot of interesting things, and I, I think this year, hopefully with a few signings and maybe just you know the right time with some calls, we can put together another championship team. All right. Well, the one thing that I will say that uh, Click didn't do is Brooks Raley is now gone to Tampa Bay, and. I think he's an underrated piece of that bullpen, or he was. I don't know if he would be in 2022, but I think he was in 2021. When I look at the underlying metrics, I'm kind of a metrics guy too. So uh, maybe maybe uh, me and James Clicks are, are long-lost cousins or something because I'm a metrics guy too. And I looked at what Brooks Raley did. He was really undervalued, I think. And um, maybe Click doesn't see it the same. He went to Yale, so I'll, I'll give him the, the nod there. Um, I... I'm I'm still the jury's still out for me because some of the both of you guys make great points, right? Some you've made some moves that are really good, but also 
Brian, your point's an excellent one that you, you've, uh, I'm not, a, I wasn't a big Toro guy and, and I, you know, I wasn't all worried when he's hitting home runs every third at bat for Seattle because I know he's going to come back down to earth, right? He was a two twenty hitter or whatever, and that's really who he's going to be around that range. But w- there's still assets, and when you're not getting, uh, it, I wanted to. I was thinking more of panic. It's like, oh my God, we need somebody for the bullpen. We're going to sell our farm system, and we're going to trade away. Um, Brian De La Cruz and get Yimmy Garcia, and that may work out fine. But there is nobody else to trade. As I, as I, if you call up Jeremy Pena, there's very few assets left in that bullpen, uh, or in that bullpen in the minor leagues that I would see that would get you anything. Granky's gone now, so is Seth Beer, and everybody else traded for him. Um, wow, it's just it, it's kind of disheartening. But it's it's Major League Baseball. He could fool me. And somebody he signs uh, could turn out to be great. I don't see it in Hector Neris. I I haven't seen him pitch a lot, but just looking at his numbers, analytically driven guy. We know that now from how I write. I don't I don't see it in Hector Neris, but hope he, hope I I hope I am wrong. All right, fellas, that's going to be it for this week. I appreciate the two of you jumping on. We had a schedule jumping around, and that's the way it's going to be with this podcast, and that's great works out really good three of us had a great conversation about 36 minutes on the houston astros so until next time matt conkel brian dunleavy appreciate both of you jumping on take it easy marty no problem See you, man. thanks for listening to this episode of juice box junkies please subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and join us for the next episode of juice box junkies <laughs>